until Easter called Crowns, and I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm excited about what God is doing in Daryl's life, and I'm watching him grow as a minister. It seems like every time that he gets behind this pulpit, uh, his thoughts are clear. His, his sermon that he presents is on par, and God is working in his life, and I'm very thankful that God is working this church and in our lives and helping us to grow toward his purpose. Amen. Amen. Welcome, Daryl. Hallelujah. Good morning, Branches Church. Glad to see all of you out here today. And uh, could you turn to somebody and say, you look handsome or you look beautiful today, if that's appropriate. And that. uh, I believe in you. I believe in God's, God's will for your life. And I believe that God has a plan for your life as well. Um, today, I'm, the, the title of my sermon is called Renew, Restore, and Strengthen. And it's, it's funny that we sang that last song, uh, Come Do What You Are Able to Do. Because only God can renew us. Only God can restore us. And only God can strengthen us. And my main text of sermon of my sermon title is Psalms 51, verses 10, 12, and 13. And I, I will be referencing those throughout my, my sermon. But um, this is a sermon where David uh, is repenting to God. He's crying out to God over the uh, sin he had committed with, with Bathsheba and uh, he's lamenting the fact that, uh, in essence, he believes in his heart that it was God and God alone that he has sinned against. And that's the place that, you know, I want to talk to us about today because, uh, like Pastor said, there's a lot of fear in the world. There's a lot of hysteria in the world. There's a lot of criticism of the church, criticism of uh, should we believe in God, uh, should our worship be as demonstrative as it is, or uh, do we need to pray? Do we need to come to uh, life life group and do all these things that we do to help us grow and develop in Christ? And there are there are many people in the world today who refuse to accept and take personal responsibility for their behavior. Um, as a result of this. Uh, they often blame others for their immorality in an attempt to absolve themselves for the horrible crimes they have committed. They point to difficult home environments, emotional, physical, and spiritual abuse. And while these factors do serve as powerful instigators and stimulants to unfortunate personal experiences, we are all born with an endemic nature. We are all born with the fallen nature that we inherited from our first parents in the garden, Adam and Eve. A nature that would choose sin over, over righteousness. Ungodliness over godliness. And self-preservation versus walking with or walking in divine, the divine will of God. Hallelujah. When we consistently and faithfully turn our minds towards 
the scriptures, this seems to be the thinking and the very train of thought of our brother Job when he said, man that is born of a woman is born a few days and full of trouble. Who can bring a clean thing out of, out of an unclean? Not one. And that's Job 13, 1 and 4. When we are left to our own devices, our carnal and fleshly nature will always attempt to persuade us to do the works of the flesh. The, the, Paul said in Romans that in my flesh there is no good thing. And there's nothing good about our flesh. There's nothing good about our carnal nature. And so we have to understand that just like David, when he realized how much he had sinned, how, how, how far he had fallen into sin, we too, when we are tempted and when we fall short, we have to realize that we have to cry out to God. We have to ask God to restore us, to renew us, and to strengthen us for the next set of challenges, the next set of temptations that, are going, that we're going to be faced with in order, in order to overcome them. Without being renewed, without being restored, and without the, without the power and the strength of the Holy Ghost and God's Word operating in our lives, all we're going to do is fail. All we're going to do is fall short every single time. Hallelujah. So, so why is it that when we left to our own devices, our carnal nature always would choose to persuade us to operate from the works of the flesh? And I believe, is, as Paul said in Romans 8 and 7, he said the carnal mind is enmity against God. And the word enmity means that it is at war with God. It is not at peace. It fights. It opposes God at every single turn. In fact, David, having learned from his experiences, said, Behold, I was shaping in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalms 51 verse 5. As we peer into the life of King David, I want to talk to us about recognizing sin in our lives and what to do about it. The reason being that it is easier to point out the sin in others or to see the sin in others, but not so much within ourselves. No one voluntarily places themselves under the microscope of God and asks him to search us and see if there be any wicked way in us. But David did. David asked God. David recognized that there was something in him that needed to come out. And so he asked God to search him. He asked God to cleanse him, to clean him. And if David had enough spiritual tenacity to ask God to clean him with hyssop and create a new heart within him, why do we hesitate to make the same request? David understood the exceeding awfulness of his personal sin how debilitating it is, and how great a rift that existed between him and God. I don't know about you, but I want all of God I can get. I want to be changed every time I come into his presence, so much so that when I leave, I'm more mature. I'm more aware of what it is he expects and he wants me to do. I'm more aware of what it means to be righteous and to be in right standing with him. I'm more aware of what it means to be holy versus to being unholy. 
to be godly versus being ungodly. This is what I want every time I go into his presence. Because I know without God, I can't do anything but fail. Unless I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me and his word is abiding in me, I can do nothing but fail. From the beginning, God had weighed King David's spirit and found that it was excellent. In 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, it says, David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. David was a man after God's own heart, a man of unusual spiritual insight. For example, he defeated the giant Goliath on the field of battle. When he did that, he acknowledged that it was God all by himself who had gained the victory. He spared Saul's life, even though as God's anointed, Saul would have gladly taken David's life. Amen, somebody. David's loyalties to others always ran true. He mourned Saul, Jonathan, Abner, and his rebellious son Absalom after they died. Yet and still, in all of this, David began to waver in his personal devotion to God. His integrity had been, been shaken. He was not walking as close to God as he should have. And as a result of this, he spiraled down a slippery slope of temptation. But, somebody say, but God. But once he realized how far he had allowed his passions and sin to drive him, he began to pray. Renew a right spirit within me, O Lord. I wonder if there's anyone in this church who ever found themselves in the throes of temptation and like David began to cry out to God and renew within me a right spirit, Lord. Amen. Amen. The word renew in this verse means constant or steady. David the psalmist had stumbled and fallen into inconsistency. In particular, he had began to become inconsistent and unsteady by having an affair with another man's wife. Yet he longed for renewal, restoration, and strengthening through the power of a personal relationship with God. When you and I fall short we fail to maintain a and fail to maintain a consistent and steady fellowship with God. We too must long to re, be uh, we too must long for renewal, restoration, and be strengthened by and in the presence of the Lord. Strengthened in our prayer life, strengthened in personal Bible study, strengthened to stand in the gap for our families and fellow man. Strengthened to lift up the arms of our pastor and first lady through prayer. Strengthened to do, I'm sorry, strengthened to pray for our church. Strengthened to pray for the enemies of the cross. Strengthened to pray for those who would oppose us and despitefully use us. Oh, come on, somebody. We have, we, we need spiritual strength. We need spiritual renewal. We need spiritual restoration if we are going to be victorious and succeed in our walk with our with the living God when you fail you must get back up don't listen to the critics the naysayers or the devil himself 
Because they will always discourage you. They will always tell you to stay down. Don't get back up. It's better to just lay down. Accept defeat. You can't do it. You're going to fall again. You're going to, you're going to make another mistake. You're going to fall short. So why should you get back up? And, you know, the, the, the devil will always do this. He will always uh, encourage you not to get back up. He doesn't want you to get up and recover and begin to press towards heaven. He doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to have a close, intimate, and personal relationship with God. But why is it that the devil doesn't want this for you and I? Because, number one, he forfeited his relationship with God when iniquity was, was found in his heart. David understood this, and this is why I believe he began to ask God to cleanse Cleanse him and search his heart. Number two, the devil can't be redeemed. Hallelujah. He can't be, regener- he can't be regenerated, renewed, nor restored. Heaven is no longer an option for him, but it is for you and it is for I. Hallelujah. Satan is going to place as many stumbling blocks in front of you and me as he possibly can in an attempt to keep us from reaching the eternal heavenly shores of New Jerusalem. And isn't it a wonder that the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of peace, a sound mind. And like Pastor was saying, every time you turn on the news, the news, the anchor men and women are always talking about the coronavirus. Wash your hands. Use hand sanitizers. Don't do this. Don't do that. If you, if you touch anything, you, uh, you could be exposing yourself or, or making yourself vulnerable and all these different type of things. And they're trying to instill fear in you. But God's word is trying to instill confidence in him. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And God is not, God's word is not designed to create fear. It is not designed to uh, instill fear. It is designed to strengthen you. It is designed to empower you. It is designed to help you become an overcomer. And we can't overcome. No matter what they say or no matter what what is going on, I, I really believe, like Pastor said, that when your time comes, you can't stop that. You can't, if, if, if it's going to be the coronavirus, it's going to be AIDS, if it's going to be whatever, it's your time. You have to go. But what, you, what, what we have to do is we have to, we have to walk with our God every single day and make sure that we are praying and crying out to him and we're doing the things that we know that we should be doing so that in the, so when God does call us home, no matter in which form it is, it could be a car accident. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can step off this, off this platform. And, and break your neck and die. You know, it, however it may be, we have to be ready. And that's the main thing. That's, that's the goal that I believe that God wants us to know and he wants us to learn today. Is that each day that we, that we wake up, each day that he gives us an opportunity to be in fellowship with him, it's an opportunity to be, become more prepared to meet him and to be ready to meet him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so it is, there are, 
many areas within our hearts that only God can see according to 1 Samuel 16 and 7. Um, perhaps the most difficult sin to recognize is the sin that exists in our own hearts, in our own lives. The evils and shortcomings of others are easily identifiable. But just like David, we can become blinded spiritually by the darkness of our own soul. It was only while listening to Nathan's story, David became incensed at the rich man who had stolen his neighbor's only lamb. The king's anger was greatly kindled, according to 2 Samuel 12 and 5. Then to his, then to his, his dismay, David recognized that it was he who the prophet was speaking. Thou, the prophet charged, art the man. I don't, need, I don't need a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us can admit that we have sin in our lives. This isn't about confessing your sin or secret faults, though there is a time and there is a place for that. Well, what I am concerned about this morning is what the Bible identifies as sin, especially those things that we know we should be doing, but we aren't. And according to James 4 and 17, it says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26 says, For if we willfully sin after we have received the knowledge of, of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Church, we have to get to the place where spiritual maturity, we are spiritually mature, and where we can recognize, like David, that every sin we commit is ultimately carried out against and leveled against God. Listen to what King David said in Psalms 51 and 4. He said, against thee, thee alone, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest, ju that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. So David was saying that even though I committed adultery with Bathsheba, even though I sent her husband out into the battle to be killed by the, by the opposing army, it was really against you, God, that I had sinned against. Even though I carried out these acts against them, it was you because I was, I mean, I was in opposition to your will for my life. I was, in, I, was, I was out of place. I wasn't where I needed to be. I wasn't doing the things that I should be doing as your anointed king. So it is it's against thee and thee alone have I sinned. And when he began to realize this, this was when David began to cry out and when David began to seek God. David was in a place in his walk with God that he didn't want to rely solely on a well, he didn't need to rely solely on a prophet from God to acknowledge or point out his sin. His relationship with God had evolved and matured to the point he wasn't playing the blame game or passing the buck, so to speak. No, he was crying out for renewal. He was crying out for restoration and strength. He was looking for God to give him strength he knew he did not possess to overcome the weight and sin that was besetting him. He was seeking God while he might be found to find answers to that 
that would only allow him to get off the merry-go-round of sin and transgression. And we too must seek God while we might be found, while he might be found. We too must grow and develop in, in our understanding of what it means to forsake sin and walk holy yet humbly with our God. Why? Well, let's revisit Hebrews 10 and 26 as I bring this to a close. Hebrews 10 and 26 says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. In context, the original audience as well as ourselves are being cautioned against defecting or walking away from Jesus and his new covenant and returning to the dead works of the law. More specifically and importantly is the fact that if we turn away from the provisions of the new covenant, we are left without any resource to adequately deal with the sin problem. Before, we, before God came to us, before God found us, where we were in our sin, in the muck and the mire of our own personal sin, before he reached down and began to pick us up once we started to cry out to him and once we started to activate our faith and our belief and our trust in him, we were falling. There was no hope for us. The blood that Jesus had shed on Calvary didn't mean anything as long as we didn't acknowledge God. As long as we were living our own life, as long as we were, we were not repentant, we did, we did not acknowledge him and, and had no knowledge that, that we needed to turn away from the way that we were living, God couldn't do anything for us. His blood, his name, water baptism in Jesus' name, being filled with the Holy Ghost as the initial sign, as he gives the, the, the initial utterance, all those things don't mean anything if we don't have faith in that. And we don't have trust in that. And so when we don't, after we're born again and we don't, and we, and, and we start to walk away from, from God, or we fail to re retain these things in our mind, the Bible says that there is no more sacrifices for sin. So where are we going to go if we turn away from Jesus? I remember in the Gospels, at one point, Jesus was talking about how he had to go to Jerusalem and to be crucified and to be turned over to them and uh, what they were going to do to him. And that uh, his disciples, some of his disciples began to say, well, you know, God forbid that that would happen to you, Lord. We, 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 won't, we won't let that happen, you know, to you. And the Lord said that, uh, basically he said that, it was his will. And so some of his disciples turned away that were on the periphery. But those that were close to him, he turned to them and he said, would I leave too? And Peter and, the, and, the, and his disciples said, Lord, for you and you alone have the words of eternal life. So if we go, where are we going? If we leave Jesus, all, we do, all we're doing is going back to the beggarly elements of the world. If we leave Jesus, all we're doing is going back to a life of sin, a life of bondage. If we leave Jesus, all we're, going, all we're doing is going back to a place that is, that, is, that is going to take us further and further away from his promises, from his covenant, 
and from reaching his plan for our life, which is to be an eternal covenant relationship with him. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss that. Uh, there are some things in this world that I like and that I enjoy, but I don't think that none of those things will compare to being in heaven with God, to being in, to, to be eternally in his presence, praising him and worshiping him and whatever else that, we, that he has designed for us to do throughout eternity. All those things that are, that, that, are, that, can, that we can think of that are appealing and that fill our lives down here in earth, on the earth, pale in comparison to what we will experience in, in the presence of God. Hallelujah. There is no other form of source of salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. His thoughts must become our thoughts. His ways must become our ways in a steady and consistent walk with him on a daily basis. Church, it's time for Jesus to become our only option. Jesus was persuaded that when he went to the cross, he was persuaded that his blood that he was shed will be, will be powerful enough to remit our sins. Mm. He was also persuaded that death held no power over him. Hallelujah. So if God was persuaded, and God always will be persuaded, what prevents us from being persuaded? What prevents us from consistently believing that God holds us in our, holds us in our hand and that no one can, can, can take us and snatch us away from him? No one can separate us from him. In Romans 6 and 79, it says, and I'm closing with this. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death no more hath dominion over him. Death no more has dominion over him. So if, if Christ's spirit is, is in us and greater is he that is in us than he is in the world and death does not have dominion over Jesus Christ, then death, sickness, and disease does not have dominion over us because we are in Christ. Paul said in Ephesians that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. He also says that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. So if we are joint heirs, I mean joint heirs. So if we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ and no, nothing has dominion over Jesus, then that means that nothing has dominion over us. All we have to do is consistently believe, trust, and obey God, and everything will be all right. I really believe that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close, and I'm going to open up the altar, as we always do, as our tradition is and is in uh, Branches Church and I pray as I open up the altar that if there's something that you heard today that has resonated with your spirit and in your soul and your inner man and you want to come down and you want to pray and cry out to God and let him minister to you uh, pastor and myself will pray with you 
Uh, we won't pray for you. We will pray with you. Amen. And we'll just be- and we're going to believe that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. We're going to believe that his word says what it says and it means what it says. We're going to believe that he can renew us this morning. He can restore us this morning and that he can strengthen us this morning. Not only for this service and for the rest of this day or for the rest of this week, but for the rest of our lives as we continue to press on, press towards the mark, forgetting those things that are behind and looking to those things that are ahead of us. That's what I want. I want the victory and I believe in God. I believe that the victories that he sealed for us and that he gained for us on Calvary are appropriate for us today. And I believe in your future. I believe that God has a future for you. I believe that just like Jeremiah 29, 11 says that his thoughts for you are good and they are not evil. I believe that God has an expected end for each and every last one of us under the sound of my voice. And I also believe that if you believe that, God will show up and he will show out in your life. God will help you through whatever situation or circumstances you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're facing, what you're going through, how you feel. Hallelujah. But what does matter is Are you connecting your faith, your trust, and your belief in God as your object of faith? That's that's, that's the whole deal. God must be the object of your faith and what he did on the cross. So come on down if you want. The the altar is open. Um, I believe God is going to have his way. He is having his way. I love him, I adore him, I appreciate him, and I pray that you have heard something that will bless you and that will keep you throughout, the, throughout this week, in Jesus' name.